Would a perfect father ever be furious with his children? I see, yeah, I see a lot of moms going. Um, today we're going to talk about Sabbath, and I want to talk about the, uh, it's a hard idea, um, that Sabbath rest is sort of a biblical theological center. It's, it, it's bigger than the idea of a physical Sabbath or a calendar Sabbath. It's, it's in the Bible, sort of in subtle ways, so that's kind of our task today is to understand um, how big the idea of Sabbath rest is, and why beyond observing it on a weekly basis is important. Um, understanding that it, it's actually, it, it explains creation through the new creation in many ways. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a task. I want to ask you to tell me something about Meribah, and Massa, so you, you get to talk to other people at your table or wander around if you want, but what we're going to learn um, is, is a big lesson from Mirabah and Massa, and put your hand up if you don't even know what those words mean, right? You've never heard those words before, right? So that's why we have to figure it out, and either by Googling or if you are a great Bible student, I want you to find out what's important about Meribah and Massa, and then I'll come around and you can give me your answers. Okay, go for it. M-E-R-I-B-A-H, M-A-S-S-A-H. I just did your work for you, Victor. We got some answers. I was kind of thinking we could go to the president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance in Canada because certainly that man would know the answer. But I won't do that. Victor, I gave you a hands up. What did you learn? I found that uh, Meribah means quarreling and Massa is testing and that's those are the kind of the name that they gave the place where they tested Moses and he had to split the, well, he struck the rock and the water came out because the Israelites needed water. Good. Anything you want to add to that? Say what? Why would I trick you? Did you find it? No. Oh. Where can you find the stories? Exodus. Exodus chapter 17. Okay. Good deal. Where else can you find these places referred to? Say that again. Deuteronomy 6. Cool. Psalm 95, cool. So how many of you believe that there's something important to learn from these words? How many people are going, I don't know what he's doing, but, okay. So here's why I wanted you to tell me um, what you know about Massa and Mirabah. 
Here's what 95, Psalm 95 says. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. Who's talking here? It's God, right? Can, can you figure out how God would loathe a generation or why he would? And said, they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. So we're talking about rest, Sabbath rest, and that's really what is being referred to here. But here's God saying that he was furious. He loathed that generation. Right? What was it like to be an Israelite once you got out of, of Egypt? It was pretty cool at the start. Things were pretty miraculous, right? Until you got thirsty. And then what did you do? You complained. You complained bitterly against Moses and Aaron, and you said, why did you bring us out here? Did you bring us into the wilderness to die? Right? And they were thirsty, and they were complaining of their thirst. And, and God did this cool thing. He, he told Moses to take his rod and strike a rock, and water flowed from that rock. And the people... Their thirst was quenched until the next time they got thirsty, until the next time they were afraid, until they, the next time they got bored with manna, even though it was fully nutritious, and they wanted meat. And they remembered that back in Egypt they had all, all this gorgeous meat, and out here we're just like starving, but nourished it's a weird thing Moses you brought us out here to kill us where's God we think he pretty much has forgotten us he's not noticing us and Moses and Aaron um, would typically go to God and say God why have you given us these stubborn people to lead and what is going to become of them? What is going to become of us? It was a short journey uh, to Canaan. It should be a short journey. But as the people complained and complained, and God got more and more fed up with them, he sentenced them to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And even though they got quickly to where they could enter Canaan, they went back and they went around and around for 40 more years. And what God said about that generation was, I loathed them. None of them is going to enter into my rest. None of them, to paraphrase, is going to find their way into Canaan. So that whole generation had to die in the wilderness so that a new generation could enter God's rest. It's pretty severe, isn't it? And it's one of those Old Testament stories that we think, okay, you know, to, to what degree is this, this just sort of um, describing what God is doing or thinking in human terms? Because 
then we can maybe relate to him and to what he says and to the situations. Um, how is it different into the New Testament? Um, is it possible that God would loathe you or me? We want to say no, of course not, because we have a, we have a, a much prettier God now than the Old Testament God, right? And we struggle with that. Um, but maybe with leaving some of the attributes that we um, notice about God in the Old Testament, leaving that there and not carrying any of it forward, we may just be, be sort of making God gentler than he is. Maybe God is still a fierce God. Maybe God still hates things. Do you think? We have to go there. We have to understand the way the story of the Bible is woven and we need to be very careful um, to learn the lessons that we should learn. So let's go forward and find out about that. Hebrews is a very difficult letter. Um, Hebrews is a letter written by someone that we don't know. Some people think it was Paul. Most, most scholars don't, but they don't know who it was. And it's written to um, converts to Christianity from Judaism. So they are new followers of Christ who have come out of Judaism. And they're trying to figure out what they have to do to be Christian as opposed to being Jewish. And they know that there are many things that were required of them as Jews and how to be um, faithful practicing Jews. And they weren't quite sure what the deal was with Gentiles being included somehow in this faith that was theirs, the faith of Judaism. So some of the passages in Hebrews are really difficult because we're not sure what the author is talking about. Um, he tells them that they ought to be far more mature than they are. They ought not to be um, still arguing about certain things that they're arguing about. Um, and, and he wishes they would move forward. And in the back of it is this whole, they are thoroughly Jewish with a mix of Gentiles emerging in, in the New Testament church. So early in the letter, uh, the author says this, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, God's rest, Sabbath rest, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest, so capitalized, God's rest, has himself also rested from all his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall, following the same example of disobedience. The rest of God, the Sabbath rest of God, um, the author of Hebrews gets cryptic about it, doesn't he? He says, if Joshua gave them that rest, so we're understanding from what we've already read, that they didn't enter God's rest, i.e. Canaan, because of their disobedience, because of their quarreling, because of, of, of their lack of faith. They didn't get there. 
And we think, okay, well, that was the end of the story. God's rest was provided only to a generation that was after the generation that came out of Egypt. But then the author says, if Joshua gave them rest, then God would not be talking about another rest. And you sort of go, is he? Or, or where did the Hebrews author hear the idea that God has another rest? So it, it begins to sort of get magnified for us. So, so far we had understood Sabbath rest to be the seventh day, um, the rhythm, the things that we're learning together about that. Now we hear that that rest at the point of creation is not the only rest that's in the Bible. There's a Sabbath rest that apparently is actually geographical. It is the land of Canaan. And that's called a rest. That's called a Sabbath rest. And people who should have been going into Canaan to enjoy that rest disqualified themselves and weren't allowed in. And then as we're trying to puzzle over that, the author of Hebrews says, and um, David talked about another rest, and he talked about that way later than Moses talked about it in the, the law. And what's the today? So the, he refers to a use of the term today. Um, don't harden your hearts. Um, don't, don't be slow to enter the rest of God. But the Hebrews writer says, yeah, but that's not even about canon. There's another rest of God. So he says, therefore, um, there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That may be an eschatological reference so that we say, just as Sabbath was integral to creation week, maybe Sabbath rest is kind of the ethos or the culture of the kingdom that is at the end of time, that is the eschaton. Um, but in the meantime, the writer to Hebrews says, you have to actually pay attention to Sabbath rest, not only in observing the Sabbath, but you have to be attentive to Sabbath rest in the way that you don't fail or fall like your ancestors did. So what is the message to us? Um, I think we start with kind of a sober Okay, God is actually not happy about this. God is furious at, about this. God loathes this generation. And there must be good reason for his loathing them. It has to do somehow or other with their lack of understanding and practice of Sabbath rest. It's not the legal observance of Sabbath the idea, the notion, the concept of Sabbath um, was missed by this generation. And it, it was so um, blatantly missed that it made God furious at them. Um, especially, we're told, because they had seen all of the things that he did. He, reading back in, in um, the Psalms and, and the history of the account of Israel wandering in the desert. It's like God shows up all the time for them. He does powerful works. He has, he has um, brought about the plagues that ha, have brought the deliverance of God's people away from Pharaoh. He has conquered the, the Pharaoh's army, um, done amazing things. 
And God says, it, it, it's like you hear God like a wounded Jewish mother, right? What have I done to you that you treat me this way? Or it's actually an Irish mother more than a Jewish mother, right? <laughs> and, and God says, I'll tell you what you have done. And pay attention to what it is that has upset me. And we don't get off scot-free. That's the point. Because apparently, there is something incumbent upon the people of God. Um, not only for the future, but even in the present, that says, if we are somehow or other not entering the Sabbath rest of God, we are not uh, fine. Um, it's not okay. We should pay attention. So what else does this writer say? He says, therefore, let us fear. And we say, oh, no, we don't like the word fear. Well, this is, it's kind of a dire warning. He, he's saying, okay, there's a whole generation that died because they didn't get this. So we should be at least sober-minded in wondering in what way could we possibly violate the whole doctrine, um, the whole theology of Sabbath rest in our understanding of the Christian faith and in our practice of the Christian faith. So he goes on and makes it more clear. He says, therefore let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest. And, and we will say, so apparently that's something that is out there for us. There's a promise that exists um, about entering God's rest. So he says, while that promise remains of entering his rest, we want to be afraid if any of you may seem to have come short of it. And you go, okay, this, this is not my sermon to you. This is scripture, and it's like, okay, th this kind of takes me back a little bit. And I'm asking, could you come short of this Sabbath rest? Like, could I have come short of the Sabbath rest? Because apparently God doesn't like that. Apparently he loathed the whole generation that did it. So yes, we should be at least sober-minded. For indeed, we have good news preached to us, just as they also. What was the good news that was preached to them? It was the good news of deliverance into Canaan. Um, the good news of the land of milk and honey. Uh, the good news that was brought back by spies who said it, it's an incredible place. We've been given good news. It's not geographic good news. It's good news about salvation. It's good news for the fact that we can actually live in a right relationship with the God who created us. So we have been given good news. Not the same good news, but good news. Um, a message that has the same character as the message that said there's a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, for indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith by those who heard. You think, okay, now, now we're getting somewhere. What was the problem? The problem was not with the good news, the problem was that they had a sincere lack of faith um, that should have been mixed into that good news. Good news is only good news in, in, the, in this account if, 
if faith is applied and mixed into that good news. Um, faith, we presume, to begin with here, is just believing in it, right? Um, it's saying, okay, if there's good news, and the good news is called Canaan, um, and, and we can trust God to get us to Canaan, then faith would be just believing that and expecting that. The opposite of faith would be doubt, which says we doubt that we're ever going to get there. We doubt that you are able to lead us. We doubt that we will survive this wilderness. Um, and, and the author here is saying it doesn't matter how good the news was because there was no faith in the news. It was, it was not um, exercised along with the news. So the author is writing to people like us, and he's saying, we have all heard the good news, and we should be careful because the first people who heard that good news didn't have faith, and so they were basically um, forfeiting the good news that was offered to them. So we should be careful not to be doing that. And each one of us should be going, okay, quickly, let me understand what that would be like. What does that mean for me? He says, for we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. And your head kind of goes, what? What did he just say? And then he goes on, and we think he's a brilliant author until he says, because um, I think, didn't God say somewhere that God rested on the second day? What, what do you mean somewhere? Don't you know the reference? Can't you pull that reference out for us at least? So he, he's assuming that the people he's writing to have entered the Sabbath rest. And he, he again pulls it back to creation and says, because, and, and here's sort of the primer of, of Sabbath. Um, and he, here we'll explain to you again why people could not enter, did not enter my rest and um, caused my wrath. Um, he said, his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So God has done works. And because he has done works, he's rested. So his work of creation was done. And then he rested. And then the writer kind of slips that over and applies it to um, anybody who gets into a relationship with God and says, if you are in Sabbath rest, you certainly will have rested from your works. You think, okay. Is this simply about how you get saved? Um, that it, it's, it can't be by the good deeds you do, by the, the piles that you know, describe your life, and if it's a good pile that's highest, then you get to go to heaven. Is it just being sure not to do that? And I think this author would say, no, no, no. Um, for you to have um, entered the Sabbath rest you would then understand that it's it's um, kind of established by the by the way that God did His work and then stopped. It's done, and so you understand that. And so 
far from you knowing that you could work to get into the rest. Um, God's already done the work, so apparently this is at least telling us that anything that we do, our resources, our brilliance, our efforts, you have to have, have said no to them. You have to have said goodbye to them because you have to cease from your works as you enter into the Sabbath rest. Um, God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again, they shall not enter my rest. What is it that God wants from us? The simple answer is nothing. He wants us to come and say, I've got nothing. And that's the place to start. Um, it, it's a great place to start because then God can say, good, then I, I don't have to sort of um, take away your notions that you do have something pretty impressive to bring to me. If you come and you say, I've got nothing except a list of things I've done that I shouldn't have done, a list of things that I uh, haven't done that I should have done, so I've got nothing. And God says, okay, that's good. That's, that's you know, the, the right starting point because your works are filthy rags, actually. Um, your works are worth, are worth nothing and so the works that you have to depend on have to be my works. And if you accept the fact that my work is finished, you can enter the kind of rest that you should. That's the most wonderful realization. Because how many of us spend so much of our time regretting what we have done or not done? Regretting what has been done to us or hasn't been done for us? Um, and, and we're just always these revisionists looking back to how I should have lived my life, how I would have lived my life, how he should have, she should have. And God says, um, none of it matters to me because the work that I have done um, basically dismisses all that stuff, either by saying it didn't count for anything or it's been forgiven and, and therefore not recorded. So if... This author is presuming that we have understood that God has done all the work and then we need to simply respond by faith. So in the situation in the wilderness, it would have been um, the simple acceptance on the part of the Israelites that God did deliver them and he will deliver them. So for us, it would be the understanding that nothing that we have done, nothing that we haven't done um, is, is being accounted, um, but that we come together on, on a level footing and we come to God and say, you have already done everything that has to be done, and so I simply respond to you in faith, in trust. I, I really think if I were one of that generation I would be saying, come on, guys. God has delivered us. God is powerfully involved in our, in our journey. At least I think I'd like to have had that kind of perspective. Well, what is it that pleases God? If, if we kind of let the pendulum swing, we've seen here what makes God angry. So what makes God angry is people being ungrateful for what he has done. People being filled with unbelief. 
people being filled with quarreling. People who quarrel with their leaders and accuse their leaders of of things they shouldn't and won't follow their leaders. All all of those things just make God kind of angry. You you sort of wonder these days, with, with the number of fights that go on in church and in faith and contexts, if God looks down and says, oh, would you children stop fighting? Right? Stop quarreling. Start loving one another. Right? That, that's an aside. But let, let me bring us, as we wind this up, to a really important passage later in Hebrews. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That does not describe the demeanor of the children of Israel, right? So, so th- this is what God is looking for from us. Faith, that is accepting what God has worked, um, receiving it, entering into it, that's faith. And faith is a kind of knowledge that's better than sensory or academic knowledge. You, you can know more by faith than you can know in your mind. That's kind of hard to figure out, isn't it? Um, because this is, it's really concrete language. It's not hope so. Faith is the kind of knowledge that is sure of what you're hoping for. We are sure of the kingdom of God coming on earth. We are sure of heaven. We are sure of our forgiveness. And when we say that by faith, we can count on that more than taking it to the bank. It's also being certain if we don't see what we don't see. Um, We don't know what heaven, what the new heavens and new earth, what, what all of the great future of e- in eternity w- will be. But by faith, we know that it's real. We wonder about what it'll be like. I mean, how many dimensions will there be? When will it be and all of that kind of stuff? We wonder, but we're certain that, that that's where we're destined. And then just a little bit later in this same chapter, the chapter about faith, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if we want to say, all right, we, in the depths of our hearts, don't want to make God furious, if he could be furious at us, we would want to please God. And this writer says there's only one way to please God, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God wants to be pleased with us. And so we understand that um, the whole matter of the works having been done entirely by God, um, we don't bring anything to the table. Um, We are believing. And so that means that our faith uh, makes us absolutely concretely certain of what we know and believe and hope for, not in the hope that sort of sense, but with a fixed 
sort of destiny in our minds. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is, is really kind of startling language because it, it's taking us in, into a, a realm of knowing and, and believing that isn't so describable. Um, because sometimes we'll say, how do I know for sure that God exists? Well, you have to. Well, how? Well, apparently the commodity is faith. That by faith, we believe that he exists. And we all go round and round in our heads over the big questions, right? Where, are we, where did we come from? Where are we going? What does life mean? What's it all for? And what if we're wrong about all of it? What if we're just silly? Well, then we're kind of hauled up in the carpet, and this writer, he kind of scolds us and says, you don't dare doubt that God exists. And you think, well, actually, in, in, in the honesty of my mind, I sometimes do. So what is it that I need to do with that inclination? I have to actively believe. I have to actively exert faith that God is, that God exists, and that he rewards people who seek him earnestly. So if, if the Bible is true, if the faith that we have committed to is the truth, then this is very certain knowledge that we can believe that God exists and that he pays attention to our needs. Even when, and here's in the darkest valleys where we have to come back to this and say, okay, um, I don't want to behave like the Israelites right here, so I'm going to be very careful and say, even though I've not seen how it is that you are rewarding my searching for you. I believe that you are, and I believe that you reward those who diligently seek for you, or earnestly seek for you. And so I'm going to keep on earnestly searching for you. It's a complicated thing. I still haven't even come near to understanding or explaining how it is that Sabbath rest is eschatological as well. But, but we can see that it's, it's one of those themes that explains the Bible. or It's one of those things that just keeps on emerging. And it's, it's a concept and a commitment um, that should be dear to our hearts. There's a story about a guy who fell off the edge of a cliff. And as he was falling towards certain death, there was a sapling growing out of the side of the cliff. So he grabbed on to the sapling. And he called out to God and said, God, save me. And a voice from heaven said, let go of the sapling. And the man said, is there anyone else up there? 
That's faith. And what, what may be required of me and you is to let go of a sapling. In whatever way a sapling um, has supplanted the absolute sovereignty of the work of God to be enough for me and for us forever. Um, if I'm still holding on to something uh, and wanting credit for it, if I'm still holding on to something and um, wanting to be you know, sort of allowed to keep it even though it's not I know what God wants me to have or be. Um, I think simply if we pray and say, Father, tell me what sapling I'm holding on to. A habit, a relationship, um, a value, a goal. Um, the, the message of um, the abysmal failure of Israelites and the glorious rest of God, Sabbath rest of God, that we can enter into by faith, and in the entering, we please God. So, to whatever degree I'm holding out on God, and holding out on him, um, that is chipping away at my confidence that he exists, or that he's paying attention. Um, it may just be right there that there's something that I might say, you'll have to convince me that God cares about that because I don't think he has. We're still hungry out here. We're still thirsty out here. You brought us out here to die. If we get that demeanor in our heads and our hearts, um, then we do need to repent of that and say, okay, I repent, you are God, you have done everything necessary, um, and you are responsive to who I am and to what I need. So I yield that to you, I let go of the sapling, and I won't ask if there's anyone else up there. Okay. Let me pray. Father, this whole idea of the Sabbath rest of God um, is difficult and yet beautiful all at the same time. It's important, and it's more important than to be a simple rhythm because it's founded on deep, um, profound truths. Um, help us delight in the fact that we could do nothing to earn your favor, that it is by grace and it is by faith. Thank you for giving us your word, even giving us the, the puzzle that it sometimes is to understand and to apply. Uh, help us to, to take it in today, we pray in Jesus' name.